So it's been about five hours since Andrew and I were at the Milwaukee Center, just south of Portland, Oregon, wrapping up Farm to Table, the BSOP's first. God, I can barely even think right now. Started again. That was such a good intro. <laughs> I know it's perfect too. It was and so then here good. we are. Just do it again. A mere five hours ago, Andrew Robson and I were at the Milwaukee Center, just south of Portland, Oregon, at the BSOP's Farm to Table event, a event that the two of us have been very excited about for the last couple months, in which a hundred people turned out to learn about how to work on material that had been field grown. Yeah, it was, you know, I'm still processing it all. You know, we've been kind of planning it hardcore. Well, you and you and I have always talked about a growers association or a grower seminar or something like that. But I don't know, we, we actually did one and it feels really good. Um, Andrew's so generous to say we. He planned and made this entire thing happen and an enormous crew from the uh, Bonsai Society of Portland actually put the thing together. I got to come in from out of town and just say hi to tons of friends and have a fantastic time over the last couple days. And now Andrew and I are sitting in front of a fire pit in his backyard on a very pleasant May evening in Portland. Yeah, I have my golden retriever pawing my arm right now. (laughs) We have a fire going. We have uh, the water fountains behind us. It's a nice, cool evening. It's 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 kind of Life is good moments. Life is really good. Yeah, and it's good because we had a really good bonsai weekend. And while tired, it's been hard to wipe the smiles off our faces from all the uh, fun we had and all the great feedback we've had from the attendees of the event. I know. uh, I don't know if I mentioned, uh, Dave DeGroote just walked up to me right as we were kind of tearing down the room. And he he said, Andrew, this is, you know, he's like, you know, I've been to a lot of these, you know, as a, you know, tens of dozens as as an attendee and as, as, as a presenter. And this is the best convention or seminar that I've I've ever been to on bonsai and it was like a huge compliment because Dave is just this legend and I respect his 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 thoughts so much but yeah I think we we pulled off something magical you know if the audience had as much fun as we did then I think <laughs> I think it was a huge success it was a ton of fun and so the event was all day Saturday and Sunday and just to run through kind of what we covered, we kicked off Saturday with a panel discussion. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, we, we did, so, it, it was such a casual event, but at the same time we did so much that I'm, like just going through it is, it's I don't know. It's become kind of a jumble, so let's see. I'm going to guess we kicked off in the Rose Garden under a tent, under a light drizzle, and we had John Eads, Michael Hagedorn, Matt Real, Andrew, and I answering questions under the speaker's tent and we covered a lot of the basics that have to do with all of our experiences growing trees in the ground and working on trees that had been grown in the ground and as time went on we got to address lots of questions from the audience and that was one of the very first things we noticed is that in my entire experience I've never seen such engagement from the participants of this event. It was really interesting. Unlike a normal club meeting where, oh, it must be Tuesday, time to go to the bonsai show. These were people who saw the topic, thought, I need to go, and they showed up with the best questions that I've heard from any event to date. Yeah, like everybody really wanted to be there and was so hungry and eager and willing to share what they know and soak up what we know. And and, and we, they were not 
hesitating to withhold any uh, challenges or criticisms of our ideas either. Yeah, it's and, great. And, and I think the the beautiful thing about um, having so many artists uh, and 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 presenters uh, on the panel was, I learned. I feel like I learned as much as the audience did. At least as much. It was great. Yeah. It's funny. I think people who like growing trees or these long-term projects, they must have some kind of stubborn and or independent streak because it's not a very rational thing to start with something so small and try to turn it into something where you can begin growing a bonsai after a 10-year project. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just to set the stage uh, about what this this seminar was about, it was so it was celebrating the the legacy of Telperion Farms. Yeah. Telperion Farms, which, which which we've talked about on the podcast, for for those who might be new joining us, welcome. Uh, or or those who don't know, is that they were probably one of the premier bonsai growers or bonsai growing operations with regards to to growing in a field in in, in North America. And they were an hour and a half away. They were in uh, twenty miles east of Salem. And and they had this very very tragic fire, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Um, but that fire, in a way, was a huge stimulus to um, gardens like mine uh, and, and Matt Reels and John Eads and and so many other people. In that, it put a lot of their trees, uh, the ones that that were saved from from the fire, into the community. And um, it was just a really really special weekend to be able to celebrate um, everything that they did for the bonsai community. And it was precious to have them there and in good spirits, sharing their stories, sharing their experiences, and participating along with everyone else. Whenever possible, we would defer questions to them, and uh, yeah. Chris would chime in with his take. Yeah, that was that was invaluable. It was, I don't know, it was, it was a really special event f- for, for that reason. I mean, it was so educational, it was so fun, but having the Kirks there and, and sharing the experience with them and, and for, having it for them, it, it just made it over-the-top special. It was great. There were a couple moments when there were some questions which seemed so simple, I think at one point someone asked, so what soil do you use when you plant the trees in the ground? And most people laugh because the uh, the answer could go on for as many hours as we had a yeah. daylight left. Yeah. And we got to hear the way Chris approached that and how they prepared their raised beds, about how they prepared their grow bags, and about how they treated the trees after they took them out of the ground. Yeah, yeah, and it was so fun to see so many of the trees that they grew actually show up to the the event. Um, they were there for you know on Saturday we we set the stage with a panel discussion in the morning. We kind of uh, we we thought we were going to cover a lot more in the panel discussion than we did, mm-hmm. but we were so hyper focused on just how do you grow trees? I mean, it's, it's how do you put trees in the ground and grow them? It's a really sounds so simple, but yet it's such a complex uh, topic. And then you know we we followed it up after lunch with a super critique where we had, you know, what, 15 of their, their their trees there for that, something like that. And there were just so, you know, the vendors were there selling their trees. Uh, we had so many show-and-tell examples of their, their trees. It was, you know, to see such a wealth of trees that they put in the community just kind of represented in this event was, was awesome. And it was a much broader mix of species than I expected. When we did the super critique, we we did a couple species more than once but we had a wide variety what was scott elser's tree the uh he had a crab apple yes. um, um which was fun and and i have several crab apples that telperion grew which which i love um you know i was i was saying today in my my demo um you know i love telperion because they glue they grew the classics you know the black pines the shimpakus the 
um, the Korean hornbeams, Japanese maples, trident maples, all the things that we know and love and, and yeah. adore. Uh, but then they grew a few weird things, which which was fun. <laughs> um, the, my favorite weird thing that they grew was Arctic birch, uh, which oh, yeah. which was my demo tree. And um, I don't know, it was just fun to see them kind of dabble and explore with with a lot of things that we don't normally grow. Yeah, it was really nice. And then to have that complemented by the questions we were getting about species, a couple of questions came up with which the panelists looked at each other and we all agreed, yep, none of us have the answer to that question. That's a good one. You have to let us know how it goes. Yeah, it, but, but going back to the questions, the the quality of, I, I don't know in all of my, you know, I haven't been bonsai teaching as long as you have, but in the f- past four or five years that I've been doing this professionally, I don't think I've ever gotten such quality uh, questions. In, no, in they're really events. good. And we appreciate the stumpers, and Grace will let you know if we figure out the answer to the Douglas fir questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was that was a real stump. Um, but uh, yeah, wow, what a fun weekend! It's 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 I don't know, so refreshing to sit back and reflect on it. Yeah, and so yeah, that first day we did our panel discussion, we did our super critiques, and and then we did a big group workshop. Oh, the workshop, of, of course. Yeah, close it off, and and. Again, going back to this, it was so casual. If if you're in a club or if you run a club or if you plan conventions or something like that, you know, I'm, I'm a bonsai professional. I'm very, very busy, just like a lot of people are. Uh, and when we were planning this, I was like, okay, what's the, the highest quality education that we can put out there with like the least amount of work? And also have a lot of fun at the same time. Right. And, and you know, the work up front beforehand, you know, yeah, we, we worked hard at it, but it wasn't extensive. And I think it's because we, we really focused on the education. We didn't spend too much time worrying about what are we having for lunch? Um, what fancy name tags are people going to have around their necks? What, what, all these little details that really don't matter and we would forget about anyway, we put all, all of our focus into, you know, what really mattered. And I think that that showed this weekend. The focus was not on the trimmings. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I don't know, going back to what Dave DeGroote said is, you know, it was just, it was certainly the best, best convention I've ever been to. And to be able to, to do it with so many friends and Oh my gosh, we had so much wonderful help. Uh, Scott Elser did so many amazing uh, uh, graphics and, and help with the display. He created these amazing photo boards um, where he had you know photos of people at the farm and progression shots and 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 photos of Chris and Lisa and Gary Wood who who was such an integral part to their their growing organization. Um, our our BSOP board you know was was awesome putting this together. There's so many people I. Yeah, they worked so hard, whether yeah. Patrice up front, Reed making sure everything worked out, Brandon keeping us on track. There were such yeah, Carl with the website. Core, yeah, yeah it was, of people making sure that everything it was happened. Amazing. Tom Karen Finsel for, for you know, arranging. Tom gets a gold star for the entire weekend. Oh my gosh. There's, it was just, you know, the people were good, the the yeah. learning was good. Everything. And the learning was a kick. When we were in that workshop the first day, there might have been 20 people, I guess, who brought trees to the workshop, yeah. give or take. 20, 30, something like and that. And it was really fun because you'd stop by one person who bought a tree from one of the vendors in the morning, admitted that they'd only been in bonsai a couple months, and went through the absolute basics of what kind of work you do this time of year, how do you keep it healthy, and what might a good next step be for this young field-grown tree. And then after getting up from helping that person, someone like, you know, Dave DeGroat would tap on my arm, Jonas, can you come look at my tree? I just bought one this morning. Yeah. And uh, I was like, seriously? You're the teacher here. Yeah. 
it was it was kind of crazy that that people like Dave even traveled to come to this. I mean, when, <laughs> yes, yeah, it was it was I, out of I control. I kind of can't get over that to have. Uh, Tom asking us questions about Dutelperian trees, and he has more experience than probably any of us with these trees. Oh, man, and we can't forget his amazing presentation that he gave us on his top-down yeah. um, repotting technique. Yeah, so today we followed a very different format. We were indoors for a change, and we had started the day with just kicking off some demos. We had four simultaneously demos where we got to show the trees in the before state, and then immediately we went into this presentation Andrew mentioned by Tom. And... It's easily my favorite technique of 2022. I mean, we'll see where the year goes, but right now that's top of the charts. Yeah. Um, J- Jonas, you've done you know quite a few demos. What was the demo like for you? How, how was the tree? Did you have fun? What did you work on? I worked on a tree that was donated by the Kirks. And Andrew mentioned that I'd be working on black pine but he never, whenever he mentioned the tree I'd be working on, he couldn't ever say it with a straight face. <laughs> he always broke into a grin and said, yeah. don't think black pine. It's kind of Yamadori style. Don't think black pine. Yeah, it looked like it maybe got run over by the gator <laughs> or something. But well, it had this funny. amazing shari. I mean, it lo- looked, it well, looked Chris like... Chris guessed s- he ran over it with the tractor. That was the, yeah. <laughs> that was the yeah. guess. And it did. It had this wonderful movement, wonderful shari, and we got to treat it like a collected pine and it was by far the most fun demonstration I've ever, or most fun demo tree I'd ever been able to work on. It was just a blast because it was the appropriate amount of time. It was the uh, right time of year for me to be able to do the work that the tree needed right now. And I typically don't try to wire trees while the candles are three, four inches long, but Fortunately, uh, it's been a really cool spring around here, and the trees are off to a slow start, so it worked out just fine. Yeah, yeah, it looked really fun when you when you got done with it. And our demos covered quite a spectrum. Oh, While yeah. I was able to make a few big cuts, change the angle, the planting angle by forty five degrees, and put on some wires, Matt Real next to me had a very large trunk black pine, and he taught the crowd how to treat wounds, large wounds, that very, very important first step when you're doing those early post-field days. Yeah, yeah. And it was fun to see that the the contrast between your pine, which was very Yamadori-like, and his, which was more... Black pine bonsai. Black pine bonsai. Yeah. yeah. And it was really fun to see the, the type of work that you do to set up the... the yeah. So we were able to issues. offer two different approaches. One resembled the outer frame of a bonsai silhouette, whereas the other one... The wounds were treated, a few primary branches expertly bent, and the rest really left to grow so the tree could maintain as much sap flow as possible to close those wounds. Yeah, yeah. And then we had John Eads uh, uh, doing a completely different out-of-left-field <laughs> <laughs> demonstration. He he did uh, different types of grafts. So he did juniper grafts, which is you know what we're doing this time of year in Portland. Uh, he, he took a tree that was way too tall, had a lot of interest down low, put a lot of grafts on. Um, he did some approach grafts on yeah. Japanese maple to improve the Navari. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually um, not sure how he was able to do all of that in the same time that I was felt like I was fooling around compared to what John was getting done. Yeah, he put th- John's a, a, he's a great worker. <laughs> yeah, he's a great worker. He's he's going to be a real grafting guru. Um, yeah, I gave him the opportunity to graft when he was down in my garden over Christmas and fun. the three for three so far when I left yeah. last week. They were awesome. doing great. 
yeah. all red pine graft. So. Yeah, he might have a little side business there doing some grafting <laughs> for people. Uh, and he loves it too, which yeah. is even more And fun. he's a great speaker because he's so education-focused. I'm not just saying that because he has such a great speaking voice, but very education-focused. And he pretty much broke down the steps, explained the different tools and supplies that are needed to do the graphs that he demonstrated and uh was just answering questions he how many of you have grafted with nine or ten people over your shoulder where the demonstrators (laughs) the demonstrators were working off to the side while uh, the presentations were happening and john by far had the biggest crowd of people eavesdropping yeah it was amazing oh and by the way he did a a, a trident maple air layer so he just yeah you gotta wrap it all up with an air layer of course yeah so he he kind of crushed it with a a bunch of different and then Andrew technique. did what I thought was the most basic technique for what we do with so many trees when they're out of the field on that Arctic birch. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have I only have three Arctic birch from Telperion. I have a lot of birch in the garden, but only three Arctic birch from them. And uh, it was really fun. I got to teach one of my favorite concepts with Deciduous, which is that these are basically a 401k. This is not, you know, let's make a bonsai in one day like like so many Yamadori can be. Uh, these are small contributions over time adding up to something special. Uh, and, and so every time we work on something like this, it's like throwing in, uh, you know, 100 bucks, 500 bucks into your 401k. You know, you can't retire on that. It's not a bonsai yet. But if you do that enough times over enough years, you eventually build compound interest and you get something you know, beautiful or something you know, substantial. Well, it's so funny you just let loose with that metaphor just now because right before... 401k came out of your mouth I was thinking I really hope I live a long time because I'm dying to see what these trees look like 20 years out these really are slow burn long game projects we're talking about these have been in the ground many of them 15 years it's going to be another 15 years to really get to where we want to see these trees they'll improve after that they'll have beautiful silhouettes in 7 to 12 years but I really do hope I uh preserve some vision or at least touch so I can interact with these trees down the road because I've been surrounded by these great field-grown projects and I'm so excited to see where they're going. Yeah, and I'm glad that we were able to hook you up with a couple uh, nice nice field-grown hornbeams from the farm too so that I'm, I'm glad we're sending you home with, with some of these kind of monsters to, to I have uh, plenty of opportunity now to practice all these techniques. I actually... So ahead of the event, Tom Finsel, we'll get to his technique in more detail. He had reached out ahead of time to just run some ideas by me about this repotting technique that he was sharing. And I was so excited about it. I wanted to pick up a couple trees just so I could uh, put his t- put his approach ah, into work. Yeah, that's right. You you got, what, you bought two Telperion black pines. <laughs> you have one at home, so now you have three. Yeah. You have two Telperion horn beams now yep. to play with. Um, yeah, you're going to have a fun, fun little... I've got a great little mini Telperion farm starting. Yeah, yeah. And these trees are, I don't know, they're, they're going to be so special. The Kirks are great. They're such dear friends to us that, I don't know, they're, they're going to be fun to hang on to for the long haul. And the Kirks were our final presentation in the morning today before we wrapped up the demos. And they told the history of how they ended up their journey through bonsai a little bit and what precisely led them to the farm and their the, the half of room catching the teary story of the fire experience oh my gosh it was it was probably the most emotional you know bonsai 
yeah. talk I've, I've I've been through, but it was so beautiful and special and man, they're great people. It's also the first time I've seen a standing ovation for for um, for a presenter at a bonsai event. My yeah. weekend hobby. Yeah. Yeah, that was it was amazing. Wow. Yeah, um, it was great. And the the thumbnail sketch of the story they told was that the bonsai <laughs> the angels that helped them after the event were came in the form of the bonsai community. The help, the support, the extremely generous offers for whatever the Kirks would happen to need was provided entirely by the bonsai community and for which they're forever grateful. Yeah, it was, I don't know. It was, it was so special to be able to help them out. You know, I saw them so many times. Um, you know, I saw, I saw, we, we went up there to save trees uh, when, you know, the irrigation uh, got destroyed, that the power was out. Um, we, we basically, you know, their house had already burned down. It was crazy chaotic. You know, the whole, you know, valley there was on fire. We were, you know, I, I reached out to Chris. Uh, I, I called him and, you know, I, I got the update. I offered help in any way I could. But um, we, they, we eventually sent, you know, little, you know, scouting parties to try and see what was going on. Uh, and I just remember driving there, you know, the sky is orange. You, you get there, it's like, when you look at the, the air quality meter, it's like 400, 500 oh. on the thing. It was, so we're like driving out there, there's roadblocks. We're trying to find a way around the, the cops <laughs> to, to get, you know, to the trees, the farm. Andrew was texting me pictures of the Martian landscape. Oh my God. Yeah. looked, looked Martian. Um, and the visibility was terrible. You could not see a yeah. curve ahead of the 50 road 50 feet something yeah. like that it was it was insane uh but we we were able to rescue a bunch of container plants while you know dug furs on the property are still on fire um man yeah. it's crazy thinking back to those times but um i'm i think you know all of us who who rescued trees and and i think the kirks you know we're just so grateful that so many things that that could get rescued did and uh yeah we got to see him this weekend, which is just some special. It's it's been fun to have people in the garden. Um, I, I kind of rearranged the garden as as you've seen to, uh, you know, I put all the Telperion trees together because I just wanted to show people, you know, that they make up about a th- one third of my garden, <laughs> and which is crazy. Um, and and most of them are deciduous. I think I have one pine from them, and uh, yeah, it was really fun to have them over to, to have them see the trees, see them going along it i don't know the whole time was just special i can't i can't get over it the end cap to the event was actually seeing the uh, last lap of the race where we had a mock display set up of half a dozen dozen trees that were getting closer to show shape we actually set them up almost exhibit like we'll share pictures of as much as we can of the event but there were the trees that were the closest that we had to show ready. And we had a number of different species. The crabapple, pine, chojubai, yeah, um, elm. Japanese maple. Maple. Uh, we had a Scots pine. And a Scots, right. And it was really fun to see, oh yeah, this is why we're doing this. We're not doing this just because we like playing with these big lumbering trunks. But it's because we actually believe that we can 
be really happy with the result. And it was fun to see them in ceramic containers on a bench with, you know, nice level soil on top. And it was uh, very heartening. Yes, this is why we're here. Yeah, it was it was super fun. You know, the way we structured the event was very Saturday farm. We're outside. <laughs> we're in the elements. <laughs> yes. um, Sunday table. You know, th- we're we're working on trees. You know, mostly in pots or uh, trees that have been harvested and a little further along, uh, more finished trees. The super critique on Sunday was exhibit trees and pots. On Saturday, it was you know rough trees and anderson flats or or plastic rounds um so it was really structured to you know the whole event felt like that transition from you know growing it in the farm all the way to you know 20 years after it was dug and to make sure no one left empty-handed not only was one of the demo pines awarded in a raffle as a door prize but everyone had cupcakes to go as the event ended in our social hour when, when, when as we wrapped up yeah, yeah, we we couldn't have asked for a better weekend. Again, the, the the help that we had, you know, our volunteers, our board, our our artists, our you know growers, um, yeah. to our attendees, our vendors. Yes. Oh man, the vendors! The vendors. Were, we didn't even talk about that. This was oh, one man. of the better assortments of vendors, and the vendors did very very well. Yeah, they they it was crazy. We had now Tokutake, Vicky Chamberlain, two of my favorite uh, uh, ceramicists here in, uh, on the West Coast. And I still, not being right in their backyards, I am, I just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around how fast their work is has improved and how awesome their production is right now. It does not seem like that long ago when I remember first hearing about each of them. And now they're just filling up tables with stacks of amazing, usable, beautiful pots, and they just, they're gone in no time. It's, it's to- they're totally off the charts. They're <laughs> like, oh man. And it's it's beautiful because they're very different aesthetics, but they're yeah. so well done, each of them, that it's 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 special and you know having them over to the garden on friday they you know i got to share with them you know my telperion trees and other trees that were in their their pots that was that was special we had some great you know tree vendors there as well Um, a lot of vendors we had from tom finsel brought some of the telperion trees john needs had all kinds of trees various club members had showed up gotten together matt real had trees yeah it was and, and so many good examples of field grown trees you know the fun thing about it i I did a lot of polls of of the the attendees over the weekend uh we asked how many people have pre-bonsai i I think every single attendee raised their hand so our marketing worked (laughs) well (laughs) yes we had the right audience Uh, we had the right audience um i asked uh how many people have telperion trees and maybe 90 percent of the people raised their hand that was it was cool that was really cool i was very surprised to find a bunch of uh Friends from Northern California had made it to the event, and I just kept finding one after another. At one point, I called on someone in the audience, and, oh, hey, didn't even realize you came up here. And so we had people from Washington State, from Northern California. Yeah, it was it all like, over Oregon. Yeah, it felt like a West Coast event. It was. It really was a West Coast event. And, yeah, uh, yeah a bunch of us went out to dinner last night and had a great old time listening to live music and got to take advantage of yes it's portland so it was food trucks but of course yeah uh, but it was really it was wonderful (laughs) yeah yeah the food trucks here are off the charts we we took dave dave degroot joined us yeah he went to a cajun you know new orleans style food truck and i was like worried when i saw him ordering i'm like is he is he gonna like this (laughs) this like might not be the real deal and he's like this is so good yeah (laughs) it was was fun it was fun it was 
So when are you doing it again? <laughs> oh man, it was you know so much bonsai education is geared towards finished trees, people's classes, people's. Uh, um, I, I was going to say people's blogs, but you're <laughs> you have the biggest <laughs> blog and you do so much great um, um, you know pre bonsai focus. Uh, but but there's so much of our focus in teaching bonsai is is more developed trees, but we don't spend enough time uh, talking about how to get trees to begin doing those techniques with. And and I think this type of this type of seminar where we called it a seminar, not a convention, because it was if we had a lot of the similar components, but we did it in a very different way. But having this this seminar that was focused on uh, uh, growing, I think. I don't know. We we need to do a lot more of it. Yeah, it's interesting just hearing you say it that way. It made me think there's a couple ways of thinking about bonsai curriculum at large. One way is to look at all of the different forms of bonsai education that's currently offered, whether it's online video offerings, whether it's books and or online resources, or whether it's the in-person events, conventions, exhibits, or club meetings. If we look at the kinds of things that are being taught it doesn't exactly map on to the average person's collection. Whereas the other way to think about it is, what does the average person have in their collection? Few young trees, few field-grown trees, few project trees, few show trees. It's funny that our programs rarely line up proportionately with the material in people's gardens. And I think that unmet need was or unmet, unmet need is what brought people out this weekend. Yeah, maybe we don't need to be teaching defoliation and pinching so much. Maybe we need to be talking yeah. more about sacrifice branches. When your tree doesn't have primary branches, <laughs> defoliation yeah. is a wonderful intellectual exercise. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, talking about things like grafting, like yeah. like sacrifice branches, like air layering, like all of these different things yeah. that we were able to cover, it was just... Because even in our gardens, between Andrew and I, there's a lot of programs, and we've contributed to them. You know, should we be fully defoliating or partially defoliating? That's a tiny fraction of our own collections that are getting that. It's it's great for trees at a certain stage of development, but letting branches run, developing a full apex or the top half of a trunk, these are the kinds of things that are going to help. And if people enjoy working on younger material, then that's another fantastic option. So it's given me a lot of ideas for both what kind of curriculum to offer in our current settings of club events and what kind of special events we do that have a specific focus, whether it be field-grown material or showing or display or whatever specific topic can speak to the people who have found unmet needs in their pursuit of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, I think um I think this is not the last farm to table to to happen. You know, we were we were joking, you know, af- after the seminar, you know, what if we actually did it at a farm? What if we go to Left Coast Bonsai? <laughs> John needs, yep. you know, new growing operation had a it surprise there. John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, heads up. <laughs> yeah. You know, what if what if we actually take this places and, you know, still do the same quality content um but but slightly change it up and I th- I think there's a lot of room to play here. So much um, about bonsai has been about bonsai, not pre-bonsai. That it's, right. I don't know. I feel I felt the energy in the audience. I, I yeah. felt that people were like sacrifice branches. Yes, like <laughs> what? I, I people are talking about this in your standard yeah. demo, yeah. Um, and so wow. which is funny because most clubs offer beginner workshops that deal with pre-bonsai all the time. But the 
evening programs are far, at least that I've been exposed to, are far less frequently focusing on those yeah, events. Yeah, and, and the problem I think is is we try and do bonsai things on pre-bonsai. Um, you know, you oh, have a yeah. you have a young little juniper, right? You're trying to create gins and sharis when you haven't given this thing an opportunity to be a young tree. You haven't built in good structure, good uh, what I like to call I don't know I use the word information a lot, yes, but yes. but basically just good structure. You know, nice movements, like nice. You know, just just build, let this be a young tree, build it out for several years. You know, that people always ask me what 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 would you tell yourself ten years ago. Oh, take a bunch of juniper cuttings, just wire the crap out of them. Yeah. And uh, hide them somewhere. <laughs> and just every time they put an extension out, just wire it. That's right. And uh, if I would have done that, I would have had. And know. honestly, who cares about the shape? Everyone listening, everyone we come in contact with will wire them differently. And that's why we get such great variety in the trees. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a, a pre bonsai doesn't necessarily need a front. Nope. Which is a crazy concept. You know, we're all about bones. I have front. Let's I will pick say it can help in some species in some cases, but it never needs a front at those early oh, days. Oh, say more. Say more. One thing I've talked about a lot when I present on growing trees from scratch is I'll call something a one-year lesson, a two-year lesson, a five-year lesson. And it might be that I have a five-year-old tree and I go to do some work to get it to be a six-year-old tree. And I think oh, man, I really wish I had done this thing differently five years ago. It took me five years to learn that lesson. Yeah. Well, now having more trees that I've put more time into, I'm finding on trees that are much less flexible, like, say, a black pine, for instance, unlike a juniper where you can do all kinds of great techniques at any stage, but you've got a shoheen pine with a small number of branches and you have far fewer opportunities for radical adjustments. And I often think, yeah, I guess I really wasn't thinking about the front all those years. Where should that apex go? And you can make fun and interesting trees from that. But for the first time, I've been thinking more and more about it can be helpful to have a front. Because I'd been saying what you have for decades, and now I'm, I'm making it okay to plan out something sometimes yeah let's let's speak uh, more specifically yeah black pines and junipers i find junipers you don't you totally don't super need flexible but do you think with black pines growing your, your container grown black pines do you think having a, a front is 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 more beneficial what i find with a lot of younger and or smaller trees is a lot of people have a lot of branches at nodes and that's not just for pines and it can lead to some swelling and it can lead to bar branches and it can lead to some awkwardnesses in structure that's often going to be really limiting when you start turning the tree to find out what are your options for maximizing the movement or minimizing bulges or flaws or things and it's that's one subtle example of something that you can start to game out ahead of time Um, another one would be it's harder to regrow things from scratch. Like in a deciduous tree, you can just cut wherever you want at any given time and regrow something. And for something like a pine, you would have to graft and then cut and regrow. And that's just not done typically. So, something that I love that you talked a lot about during the seminar was um, having high density of branching in a small space, how crucial that is. Oftentimes yeah. what we see in field-grown material, you know, in like a 12-inch space, there might be one or two branching. Or and, branches. By, and we mean primary branches, branches that emerge from the trunk. Right. So important. Yeah, and on a Japanese tree, like like you yeah. say, you know, in a 12-inch space, rather than just one or two, you might have 10 or 20. Yeah, 20. a lot. Radially emerging all the way around the trunk, all the way up and down. And it just gives you so many different options. It means you're going to have smaller scars it means you're going to have more taper 
more opportunities for natural movement created by cuts rather than by bending, which always gives more gentle curves. And best of all, it gives tons of options when you're styling the tree to determine where your brakes, breaks, where are your branch pads, how do you get alternate branching along the trunk. It's, it's one of, a t- there's a tiny number of lessons I wish I could actually internalize. <laughs> Only make good roots, leave more branches on a gradually tapering trunk, and I'll let you all know when I figure out what the third big lesson is because I'm still <laughs> apparently I'm we're not still, there yet. We're still learning, and that's yeah. what was so fun about the the, the seminar. Yeah. One other takeaway for me is just being exposed to so many species that I either have less experience with, or are not native to where I live, or simply don't grow in my climate. And you know, Andrew's. I'm asking questions of someone who's been in bonsai all of 15 minutes. I get to his garden. What in the world is that? Oh, it's a Korean hornbeam. Wow, they're not that color where I live. And every other tree I was asking about, oh, I guess I'm finally seeing trees, what they look like when they're incredibly healthy in, uh, in a completely different climate where you get frost, where you get radical spring growth. Yeah. Yeah. We get real four strong seasons here. And I think, you know, that's why the nursery industry is here because, and it makes sense to do a grower, grower seminar here as well. Um, yeah, it's been really fun having you in the garden. Uh, This is your first time at Rakuyo and it's, uh, well, it wasn't totally, I was here before, but it wasn't exactly Rakuyo. It was very different. It was a patch of grass. Yeah. There were weeds and a giant oak in the back. Oh, you were here when the oak was still up. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Yeah, I think it was just three weeks after you closed, if that. Wow. And Andrew is running around, and the house is going to go here, and the benches are going to go here. I don't know about there. We might put some garden, side garden vegetables there. I don't know. Yeah. And it was just all enthusiasm, but we were in a blank lot. It was tabula rasa at that point. How many years ago was that? That was was in 2018? 18, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so in four years, (laughs) it's kind of crazy when we were standing on a blank piece of grass. And speaking of blank pieces of grass, on that same note, that might have been the trip when I was coming coming up to hang out with Michael Hagedorn at his garden. And Andrew was apprenticing at the time, and Andrew had an extra space at his condo where I stayed. And I think the two of us stayed up until maybe three or four in the morning talking about what? but how to run a West Coast exhibit. (laughs) We were brainstorming the thing that more or less became the expo. Yeah, so four years later, (laughs) I have a garden and and you have a show. (laughs) uh, And I feel like I have fewer trees now than I did then. I'm not sure. (laughs) Do you? Yeah, I guess you do. Your garden's changing too. My garden's always changing, so it's actually hard to say whether I had more or less. I'm much more excited about my garden now than I was four years ago. Yeah. I had a lot more of the mature pines the 20 plus year old pines that i'd grown i had a lot more of those back then you know thinking that you know only four years ago you know we we were just saying 20 minutes ago on this podcast yeah that'll be great tree in seven years and 14 years something i look at what's happened in the last four years both with you know our experiences and uh, just the trees that I have in the garden. Trees change faster than I think we sometimes give them credit for. It's hard when you get a good sense of what great trees look like and what it takes to build a great tree. And some people can get this by visiting gardens. Some people experience it through images. 
I was lucky enough to go to Japan a long time ago and see some great trees firsthand when there was a much bigger gap in quality between what the Western and Eastern world was producing. And when we have that ideal in mind of what we want our trees to become, we see the gap. And it's really hard sometimes to take a step back and appreciate what we've done. And so when I walked into this enormous garden with how many trees are back here? About 250, somewhere around there. Yeah, I don't have a fraction of that at my place. And the big question was, you know, what what do you think of all these trees? And it's spring right now, so everything is solid right now. Yeah, I, it's it's really lush. You came at like the best one yeah, of the best times. From it, yeah, because it's just shy of the time when the pinching, pruning, and cutting happens. We're just on the edge of that up here, and so everything is full. And so at a glance, you really can't tell if a tree's been in training for thirty years or three years. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's sneaky. <laughs> if they're all in bonsai pots, it's really hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah, And so, to Andrew's point, a lot of those trees that are now in bonsai pots full on these benches may not have the structure, but they look like bonsai on the bench. We can tell what the journey is going to suggest. We have an idea of how tall they will be, how dense they will be, and it looks really attractive in the garden. And yet, Andrew is focused on, I see the gap between where I want this to be and where it is now. And I'm looking and thinking... Wow, this was weeds three years ago, four years ago. Yeah, even just thinking about you know, like third of my garden that was at Telperion yeah, Farms these trees four were years literally ago, literally in the ground in twenty-gallon containers, ten, now twelve, fifteen, twenty feet tall. Yeah, and now they're in handmade pots on these beautiful oak slab tabletops, and they're progressing really fast. We had comments today actually at the event about that where we were talking about how to get density on trees and I was surprised at how many people marveled at the trees in the show and tells that were as dense as they were. And I've always taken for granted how easy density is. And if you apply the appropriate techniques consistently for a very small number of years, you can add radical amounts of density in a really short time. And that's for conifers and deciduous trees. Yeah, yeah. Sacrifice branches are slow. I'll give you that. Thickening, that's a little slower. And when we talk about these 15-year projects, that's 10 years of finishing the trunk, closing wounds, developing new scaffolding. But density's not that slow unless you um, suffer that fate of all people who want to grow Japanese maple bonsai. Yeah, <laughs> which is you know, as we're sitting in a garden with 40 Japanese maples. <laughs> yeah, very doable, but it's, uh, wow, that'll always remain an awesome challenge. Yeah, I'm curious. So you've you've gone yeah. to Japan a lot, uh, and you're sitting in a garden with a, you know, I do have a lot of very classical, traditional Japanese trees, but, you know, so many of these trees are very gnarly, unique, very Western world uh-huh. Uh, trees and and I like having that variety in the garden. That that counterpoint really excites me. But I don't. What, what's it like seeing so many non-Japanese trees for you? Well, I'll tell you because I have a very concrete response to that. Often when I see a bonsai garden for the first time, my response is less appreciating it for what it is now, but immediately being curious about what it's going to become. I'm dying to see, it's like I said earlier today, I want to live long enough to see what these trees become. And I've had that experience in a lot of gardens. I want to see this place in five years. I want to see it 10 years out. And 
Andrew's projects, for those of you who don't know, I I wonder what percentage of people out there even can lift half of your trees. Yeah. They're large. They're very big. Uh, I I, th- I, I thought think I had trees is three feet tall. There's a lot of four foot tall trees. There's a here. lot of four footers. But I it's funny because when you visited, uh, and we've been talking a lot about Shohin recently, personally, but um, <laughs> when when you visited. You said, "Oh my gosh, the trees are huge!" And we would go around and we we look at the the trees that I'd call chuhin, yes, or, or, or medium That's been the trees. joke of the weekend. Yeah, chuhin. What's is, a medium tree? Yeah, uh, and it is not clearly what I thought it was <laughs> because my twenty five inch chuhin are right are uh, seven inches too big. And to be fair, you're not alone in that. A lot of people think of medium trees as trees about yay big. And it doesn't matter what I'm saying right now because yay big is a little bit bigger than 18 inches. Yeah. And that's what they go by at a lot of the top exhibits in Japan. And so the convention is if you're filling a six-foot space, you fill it with two trees that are less than 18 inches tall. Yeah. And I guess having a 12-foot wide tokonoma isn't helping my sense of scale. Maybe when I put one of those 25-inch trees in my 12-foot tokonoma, that's, it's reading very chewy. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Me. One of the very first conversations we had is, I guess you could mark off your tokonoma to a six-foot space so you could help visualize <laughs> that better. We need yeah. to make you one of those walls, like in an actual indoor Japanese tokonoma, where you oh, have like a screen. The, uh, not the screen. There's that wall with the wood, oh, and whether right, you know right, your right. shin, um, go mm-hmm. uh, levels of formality, where it'll be either a square piece or a kind of a natural form that divides off, where there might be a vase or an yeah. object or a doll, all kinds yeah. of fun things on the other side of the tree display. Yeah, but you can see. I think you can see now why why I needed a twelve foot <laughs> tokenoma because it that was very appropriate. Yeah, it, it it makes sense for the trees I have, you know. Um, but back back to the the, the crazy Telperion monsters in here. Yeah, um, yeah, I want to see them because there it's an unanswered question what we do with these rangy, awkward pieces of material. Now I find, we were just flipping through Kokofu books a couple hours ago. Yeah, yeah as one should. Yeah, we're totally normal. We go from, <laughs> it's been nonstop bonsai talk and life round the clock. We go home and before we finish eating dinner, we've already started pulling out Kokofu books, looking for specific pots. And what's catching my attention? The trees with awkward straight sections in the middle we, of the trunk and to how be they fair we did have problem. a very weird book what was it 82 81 or two 82 yeah it was maybe. it was uh it was it the was weirdest precious. book i've looked at it was the first time i'd seen a choju by growing out of the side of a trident maple <laughs> yeah, that was I, hilarious. I, I, I haven't seen that that was a good one oh it's a root over rock trident and the lower right there's a choju by there was a very shrubby looking stewardia there was oh um, i love that yeah very awkward species yeah there. a couple there species we just not at all become familiar with yeah it's a special one it, yeah old old kokufu books for those of you who don't know are it's the probably best source of inspiration in terms of techniques styles species uh pot selection there's yeah. so many things you can learn from flipping through those books and i'm super impressed uh Clearly, the Robson family does things differently because there were stickies on the pages marking specific trees or specific containers or specific styles. Yeah, I was showing you my Gafu Ten book, which like is falling apart. <laughs> like, these, yeah, are, these are very used books. Very <laughs> well, well used books, and they're just 
it's it's less learning how to do it, how it's been done. It's more seeing what aspects appeal, for me anyway, and which don't appeal, so that when you have a piece of material, it gives you a whole lot of ideas and starting points. I love having those ideas. I then get to pick, based on the material I have, do I see it going in this direction or that direction? And these days, after this weekend... I'm looking for where's the field-grown tree 35 years ago that is now in Kokufu. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and we found a bunch, actually. I was yeah. surprised. And, and a name that we've been talking about you know, a lot uh, recently, Maria uh, from, yeah, from Croatia. Um, you know, we, we ca- we've kind of seen her timeline. A lot of her trees are 10, yeah. 11, 12 years old, something like that. And they have start points very similar to, to a lot of my Telperion you know, the plants. And so I think, you know, 2030, when, when, when we come back for, you know, the, what, what would that be, the eighth anniversary of Farm the Table? Yes. <laughs> um, it'll be fun to see these trees then. I'm, I'm kind of, that, that's kind of a, I think that'll be a big year for this garden. To, well, actually, I never really thought of that. You're right. By 2030, we could have the same event, but the examples are going to be incredible because a number of these trees will have been in and out of shows for years by that time. Yeah. I may be a little overly optimistic, but I don't, why not be optimistic? Yeah. I think we'll have plenty of trees in and out of shows. I think Tom bon- Finsel's pine, you could drop in a show today. Yeah. Bonsai is an art of optimism. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> Growing is an Growing, art yes. of optimism. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun to see um, your your per, your pine progression uh, in the display. Uh, it was, I, I, I've, I know there have been some of these in the past, but... Uh, it was the first time I've ever seen one, and I think it was so well done. I, I'm not sure. You know, you've been growing pines for what 20, 30 years, something like that. Yeah. Um, it. I, I. This might have been the best ever progression display. Andrew's exist. trying to break it up right now. I was really happy with it. I'm, I'm reflecting on it. I, can't, I don't have yeah. words to to put it to it. I, uh, you had a one year old, a two year old, a three year old, a four year old, a f- five to six, yeah, seven to eight, eight to nine. And then we finished off with a 28-year-old. And I found trees that were as similar in style and size as possible, with a couple exceptions. But most of those trees were what I would expect the process to look like from beginning to end. And I always love setting it up because it's one of the most common questions I get. Show us the progression. Show us that journey. It was amazing. It was invaluable. I, I, there were so, I saw so many. It was probably the most photographed thing in the, the whole room. God, everybody must have photo. It was it was it was amazing, and it was it was crazy. Uh, did we? Did you take photos of that? Is that going to be on the? I did, but I'll have. To, I might have to reshoot it just to get okay. them a little closer together. It's hard to uh, zoom in close or, enough or, to see or, it. Or if you're listening, you'll just have to come to Farm to Table 2.0. Yeah, exactly. Um, but man, that was fun. <laughs> or yeah, I'll be uh, we'll be going over this again in an upcoming. Uh, BSOP meeting in a couple yeah. days, which will have happened uh, long before you're listening to this at this point. <laughs> but yeah, wow, that was fun. Um, yeah, that was great. I never hesitate. Andrew is asking if I'd wanted to fly up or drive up. And I'd mentioned that it probably didn't matter a whole lot. Well, if you are driving, could could, could you bring a whole bunch of your trees so we could see a progression? <laughs> Yeah, and, and like, I, oh, sure, there's an excuse. Fine, let's just do it. I know. Having so many trees at this event made it so special. We had the show and tell was out off the charts. It was, it yep. was phenomenal. It that was, was good. Which begs a couple, brings up a couple really obvious questions. Where, 
having celebrated Telperian Farms, is our next generation of trees going to come from? We had so many growers there, which was fun too. Uh, John Eads, Left Coast Bonsai, uh, Ed from, from Copper Creek. Um, who else did we have there? We even didn't, just had so many people. You know, the I, fact I, that everyone raised their hands when you asked who had trees in the ground. And I it know. Was like it was a, 20, 30 people? Yeah, it was maybe a third of the group. Uh, and that was in the ground. Everyone had pre-bonsai in containers. Yeah. And so as I forget which, it might have been Michael pointing out, what a high percentage of great trees come from hobbyists in Japan, particularly in, for some oh, it was sizes. John Romano in our, our last oh, podcast yes, on Shogun. Yes. Um, but yeah. They really do play a very important role. I remember that at Aichi, and a guy brought in a couple of trees, and, um, and the comment that was pointed out is you could not make these trees as a professional because it would take way too much work. Speaking of, we were just you know in my little project area of the garden, we were just looking at a batch of uh, crabapple shoji yes. that Scott Elser had grown for probably 12, 15 years, something like that. Yep. Um, we need, if you're listening to this, we need you. Like you're growing yeah, is, that's is fair. this is a, we want to recruit you. This is you know the community needs yeah. you to plant trees, and it was fun to hear some stories at the seminar of you know uh, so many um, older bonsai folk who um, are still planting seeds till till the day that they die. Yeah, someone actually asked a question at one point. I'm too old to start seeds, so what do you say about that? And yeah. we had a lot of great answers. Um, the best being from your dad, who pointed out the wonderful Jack Backus in uh, St. Louis, who was growing seeds every year of his life, starting new trees. And my answer as to why you grow seeds is always focused on because it's fun. Yeah. And just yeah. because I start something, it never entails an expectation that I'll see what it becomes. That's on someone else. Well, apparently Jack is the one who did such a great job. His answer was so much better. He said, how, how is it worded? It's like I'm, he was I'm doing it, he's for, doing it for the community. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that it has anything to do with him. It's that once he's putting it out there, it will be a tool for someone to learn. It will be an object for someone to appreciate, love, and care for. And that that's one of the cores of the bonsai community that he's contributing to. And so... Yeah, and a good way to do that, what we Kudos talked about over the weekend was, uh, and you've talked about this so many times, is growing batches. Pick a species yeah. that you like. You know, we need someone to be growing gardenias right now, for example. or Please do. Or, or kinzu, dwarf, you know, the kumquats. The kumquats, yeah. Um, just, just say, oh, I'm gonna, I like this. You know, if you like beauty berries right now and you're listening to this, you know, start a batch of, you know, 50 beauty berries or I mean, even, even 20. And um, if you have Escalonia or Viburnum or any woody shrubs yeah. in your garden, dig them up when no one's looking. And <laughs> if they have a nice trunk for bonsai, find out if you can put branches on them. Yeah, yeah. As Andrew mentioned, those crab apples from Scott, I got to do one of my favorite activities. We just kind of got down close to the ground. These are in two-gallon containers maybe, if that. Uh, no, these were in the, the high-fire training pots, the crab apples. Oh, yeah. The so chuchup iron. And small, small pots. And so yeah. we just looked at every single one, and we weren't grading them as much as, this will be a shoheen, this will be a little bit bigger. It's You're, you're yeah. practicing seeing the path of where they're all going. And because there were a dozen plus of these, we thought, well, great. We've got 
several future shohin fear. We've got a few future kifu trees. Some just needed to grow a whole lot more. And that's the magic of having a batch is even if you want to make them all the same, you're likely going to end up with a few different things. Yeah. Have you found growing trees in batches? I mean, sure, surely you have. Um, you know, your percentage for the good trees that come out of that batch gets better and better the more you do it. That's a really good question. I experiment so much with new techniques, new approaches, and new species that I feel like I'm doing it from scratch every time. There's a lot of patterns that apply across the board, but I often explain that it's hard to know how to grow a tree from scratch. But if you have a two-year-old tree, man, you've got 12 months to figure out how to grow a three-year-old tree. And when you think of it like that, it's not bad at all. But when I think of the batches I have in my garden now, I have two different types of crab apples, some quince. I have not gone through the process. Even though I have more than one, it's the first batch. Yeah. And so it never ceases to amaze me how many kinds of mistakes you can make after all these years. <laughs> yeah, and somehow the trees, at least a few of them, still end up being... Amazingly beautiful. Or even the species I'm familiar with. You know, John Eads and I together have a lot of years of experience of growing these things. And it felt like we were just walking into an undiscovered territory. Yeah. What is this? I never saw that before. And we're rethinking from scratch how to do the soil for a two-year-old tree. Something I've seen year after year for a very long time. And that's why we need Farm to Table. Because you can come together and have those shared experiences and, and, and... we and can learn please from each other. share with us your experiences. Yeah, it's yeah, so exactly. helpful. We were, as Andrew said, we were very active listeners throughout the uh, show and tells because the questions were very revealing. And half the time we turned the question back on the audience and they were able to fill in a lot of gaps about where things came from or how they might go about things. Yeah. I'm actually going home with so many new techniques I want to try out that seemed so harebrained, some of them, that I'm, I'm kind of just curious if they even work. Yeah, and a lot of our fun techniques, you know, like we said, it came from the crowd. Uh, yep. we, we talked about now uh, Tokutaka, who's who's an amazing, you know, almost, you know, he's he's going to be a professional potter, first very class soon. ceramicist. Yeah, yep. yeah, um, and, and he's he's also a very good bonsai grower. He's he's probably got one of the better collections of princess persimmon in the country. Wow. Um, and he's making all these root cuttings, which I'm so excited because I want them for show. <laughs> um, but um, he has this great technique for ground layering. He takes quick, quick set cement, dumps it right <laughs> on the soil of the pot, right where he's going to make the ground layer, makes his incision. The roots grow over that really smoothly. And wow, it was that was seeing pictures of it and getting to you know have that shared experience with him. I, I can't wait to try that now. Yeah, I'm pretty much taking home a tree so I can try that. Yeah, it just, it's it's too good. Yeah. Yeah, and and going back to Tom Fitzel's yep. top-down repotting technique, you know, Jonas, lay that out for us. What what'd you learn from Tom's? So let's say you have a tree that came out of the field and was put into a twenty-gallon container and was allowed to root in for three years. That's your common case, and it's you don't know what the full root base looks like. And this doesn't matter if this is something you got from the southeast, from the northwest, or anywhere in between. If you have a tree in a deep pot that has roots throughout, Tom gave us a great idea about how to get that into shape. What's the common approach? We've been teaching it and doing it for years. You cut off the bottom, you take a little off the sides, maybe depending on the species, you bare root some or all of the the soil. 
the tree takes a big hit and it's slow going, especially for conifers where you're not typically bare rooting. Sure. So somehow Tom used a corner of the brain that has been unavailable to the rest of us. And he thought, well, if you can have a sacrifice branch, why can't you have a sacrifice root? And here's how he interpreted that. Instead of cutting off the bottom, keep the bottom of the root ball and bare root the top half of the root ball. So if you have a 12-inch deep root ball, blast and carve out the top six inches of soil and then keep all of the soil around the lower roots. So many people do these techniques where they keep the core of old soil in the middle, grow all new stuff around the middle, then the hole in the donut needs to come out later. It's the absolute worst possible approach. (laughs) And then Tom said, well, you know, not only does this save one to three years in the amount of time it takes for me to have a tree in 100% bonsai soil that fits in the bonsai pot, yeah. but on top of that, once it's bare-rooted, he starts using jute twine and he ties the roots apart so he can actually arrange the surface roots yeah. right where he <laughs> wants it. So the you just can't come up with a list of benefits that high. And it doesn't slow the tree down. The tree's energy, its momentum is it is overall untouched. speeds it's, up development. Yeah. And so I can't thank you enough, Tom. I'm going to be teaching and crediting you with Oh my gosh. Uh, it was, with uh, sharing this with us all. It was so great. And Tom's <laughs> a, a regular bonsai person. He's he's not a bonsai professional. He doesn't, you know, do this for a living and and it was one of the best you know, repotting presentations I've seen, and yeah. what made it so great is he documented. I mean, he's he documents oh, we way better than I did. That. Yeah, oh my god, better than I ever will. Yeah, um, yeah, he had. He's walking around with sixty a slides, overflowing binder with photographs oh and notes with dates, and I I just could not believe he was doing a slideshow while we were doing the demo. Yeah, and the short version of it from where I was sitting was. Oh, and here's another tree I did this on. And here's another tree I did this on. I'm like, how many times have you done this? He just had example after he's example. Like, he's like 30 for 30. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. And, and he has like f- the photos to prove it. And it's and 100% wow. are in bonsai pots. 100% are in 100% bonsai soil yeah. within two years. Yeah. The tree is still going strong. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, that was a key reason why I wanted to bring home some trees this weekend just so I could give it a try. Yeah, it was it was it was fun to have Dave Dave uh, DeGroot jump in. On I'm the such a fan su- of Dave. Super critique this afternoon. I think for any, anyone who hasn't heard a critique from Dave DeGroot, you can go and listen to the Arsenal's Cup uh, where, where um, he he critiqued that show. I think Dave, out of all the bonsai professionals in North America, might be one of the top five or, or top three for for giving bonsai critiques. And he is one of the most precious bonsai minds. Is that. Uh, everyone that comes to mind, he regularly speaks about bonsai from principles of artistic design. And speaking of principles of bonsai design, he is the author of a book by that exact title. And it's, we're just on the edge of him coming out with a second edition of that. I'm sure we'll say more when that's out. The yeah, first we, we should, we should record right it. We should, we should get him on the podcast for that. that I would, would be love fun. to do that. That would be worth a, That would justify a trip up north because he has some fantastic trees in his collection. Yeah, he does. He does. He's so humble about it, too. He's, and for those who don't know him, he was the initial curator and uh, manager of the Garden at the Weyerhaeuser collection, formerly known as the Pacific Room Bonsai Collection, now currently the Pacific Bonsai Museum. Yeah, yeah, Dave's such a warm, nice person. And his comments were great, and just hanging around him helps me see trees differently. Uh, We were 
critiquing a pine where the bottom 12 inches were straight as an arrow and the rest of the tree was another 12 inches. And he said, well, you know, the first section of the trunk is 12 inches tall and you don't want the first section of the trunk to be half the height of the total tree. He <laughs> said, you want the section on top of that to be either 40% of the hole or 60% of the hole. So you either need to shorten that tree a couple inches or grow it out another four inches. And I just shake my head because he's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave's someone that just totally makes me think. I w- yeah. what did he say in the the super critique today? He was talking about apical dominance and oh, how yeah and how uh, a a botanist bot- looks at it completely different from different. how we think about it. And we won't try to butcher what he was talking about. I know because I still don't really understand it. But it had to level. do with the dominance of an apical shoot or bud as opposed to the upper area of the tree. Yeah, and a good way to think about it is if you plant a, let's say, a oak tree, you know, for the first several years, um, maybe the first 10, 15, 20 years of its life. It takes um, an excrement form. Yeah, it's going to look, it's going to be pine tree shape. With a strong central leader. Yeah, and, and it's it's not until it reaches maturity that the, the very narrow form really rounds it itself out. Becomes a broad, out. deliquescent form. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that I think every, you know. I was looking at my jaw and your jaw and Johnny's jaw. Well, John turned and whispered <laughs> to me when that came up. Yeah, everyone in the room was nodding. That yeah. we're all like, ah. And this was just some little offhand comment that he made. Yeah, <laughs> and this is what happens when you hang out with Dave. And so, yeah. for anyone that is interested in why bonsai looks the way it does and how you can modify those looks to suit your needs, his book provides the language for that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I need to get my hands on the, the second edition. That's, yeah, I'm really curious. I think I have a couple of copies of the first one at home, but of course I'll need the new one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was there was there were so many bonsai people, professionals, high level hobbyists here this weekend. It was it was yeah, great. It's a it's a good day when you get to hear Michael's laugh, see Matt's smile, listen to anything John's telling us. Like it was just such a fantastic yeah. time. It was a treat. Getting great questions from people like Scott Elser. And, yep. Oh man. What a weekend. So yes, we're a little bit gushing and no, we probably haven't slept enough the last couple of days as yeah. per usual. And, and we are sitting in um Adirondack chairs in front of a fire pit in the uh the marvel that is Rakuyo uh bonsai garden <laughs> right here. Yeah, it's it's life's life's good, Jonas. Life's <laughs> life's really good. What 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 are some other takeaways from the weekend? It's funny. I think in equal parts, I have new techniques I want to try, new species I want to grow, new kinds of trees I want to shop for. We could spend any amount of time talking about that. Oh, well, let's let's talk about it. What let's. what do you want to shop for? So, an hour before recording this, somehow <laughs> I don't know if it was before or after we were looking at the Kokafu books or looking at the uh, Antique Pot Collection. We'll definitely look at talk about that another time. But I walked Andrew through the garden and said, okay, where do you get this kind of tree? Where do you get that kind of tree? Because there's a lot of species that I don't see in my local bonsai community. Species like, Andrew? Katsura. Katsura. Like what was um, another one? Oh, gosh. My brain is warped. Okay, um, we're all tired. Katsura is a perfect example. Winter hazel. Oh, um, the winter hazel. Yep. A um, lot of them were simply species that I was familiar red bud. with. Like, yeah, redbud, the cirsus, uh, or even things like these giant ginkgo. And so I'm thinking from a very practical 
consideration. I know the history of a lot of the trees in Andrew's garden, but what I want to know is, okay, where's our best starting point? Is it nursery stock? Is it someone's collection? Is it out of the wilderness? And that's what we spent the time talking about through the garden. This is available at a nursery. This is available from, or this is not available. We have to grow it. I've had a fun time putting the garden together because you know, I, I, I've said this a lot of times. I really like variety. I have trees that look <laughs> like bonsai. I have bonsai that look like trees. I have uh, nursery stock. I have field grown. I have seedling grown. I have, you know, I, I really like all within, you know, the deciduous world. I, I really like being very broad in, in, in what, what's on the benches. And uh, it was it was fun to share with you the all the nursery stock trees, the trees that I just, I go to Portland Nursery or just regular garden centers, which we, yeah. you know, most bonsai professionals tend to kind of downgrade or, or right. um, discount. discount. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of started with the equation, where do I want to end up? I want a really yeah. big, full, deciduous tr- bonsai. You know, I want that four foot four and a half foot tall deciduous bonsai that just makes you go wow that's that's awesome i was like okay how do i get there you know i'm not that probably a seed or an air layer is not going to be you know the fastest way so how can i get something with a little bit of momentum uh and just finding a a lot of these garden center trees that have you know four or five inch trunks you know if, if that's year one for me then that will get me on the process a little bit faster what andrew's garden is pretty much a backlash against most bonsai collections (laughs) that have anemic deciduous representation. And that's both a small number of deciduous trees as well as deciduous trees that aren't dense enough, aren't large enough, aren't big enough. They're out there. I've seen them in lots of gardens, but not as much as I would love to see. And I think that's for a lot of reasons, mostly because it takes so much time, care, and love to make that happen. Whereas this garden is off to a really fast start. And so the for me, I was incredibly impressed that Andrew can walk into a nursery and, oh, yeah, well, easy. Just repot that and cut us off a few branches and you're, you know, three quarters of the way there. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I think I'm, I'm hoping we're able to get to a nursery tomorrow because it's going to be fun to, to, to shop One with you. One of these you. days we'll be at a nursery. Yeah. And we will share the adventure. Well, and, and a, a place we're for sure going tomorrow, Dennis Voitillas, you know, yep. a, a lot of Dennis's starting points were very similar. He, he started with a lot of nursery stock. You know, his, mm-hmm. his famous birch, uh, he has three three birch trees. I have one of them now. Um, those were started from nursery stock trees, and they were, you know, made an initial cut and grown a new top for taper. And um, I was like, wow, I've seen these trees, you know, you know, from nursery stock 20, 30 years later. I'm like, that's what I want. I'm going to start doing some of that. I wish I had more photos. I take, if any of you have seen me at a bonsai exhibit, you saw me holding a camera. What's funny is I've actually seen a number (laughs) of Dennis's trees in the Bay Area almost 30 years ago now, and I didn't take pictures back then. I was brand spanking new. I would love to see some of these exact same trees way back then. Yeah, I wonder if Dennis has photos. We we should ask him Oh, that's actually a great question. Um, But... Yeah, the nursery stock. That that's been a a fun thing to play with to to get, you know, I have stordias in the garden that are 4 feet tall that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they're just they're just fun. And so that was the big takeaway as I'd say two-thirds of the species I was asking Andrew about, the answer was nursery stock. Uh the other most common answer was telperion, and so, you know, grab what trees you can from telperion. Yeah. But it also made me think 
I've been operating under, and we talked about this as well, under a very narrow concept about the bonsai forms I want to end up with. And because I've had personally such a strong focus on growing trees from scratch, I've always focused on putting in effort to minimize the things that I don't want to see in the trees down the road. But that means you're doing a lot from scratch. And I've done it long enough to know I don't want to grow large trees from scratch, which means you need some kind of a starting point. And at some level, you don't want perfect to be the enemy of the good. And so I am very likely going to be getting some more big trees in the garden. Yeah. I'm excited that, again, to send those hornbeam down your way because... Yeah, Andrew kind of dared me to uh, <laughs> to see what would become of these things. And it's funny because I love hornbeam. It's one of my absolute favorite species to work with. And you have one with. of the best uh, that, that I'm aware of, you know, very traditional Mount Fuji-shaped uh, uh, hornbeam Oh, no, you have to add country. small. There's a lot of wonderful large hornbeam around the yeah, country. But, yeah. yeah, from one of those old trees that was collected. Is, is that a chuhin? Is that eight, under 18 inches? I keep that one right under 18 inches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone's going to get out and tape measure now and measure yeah, their trees. Exactly. Um, it's true. It's time. And so actually, which brings up that other point, which is, you know, how important are categories in a show, whether for display conventions or awards? We'll leave that for another time, too. But boy, has that come up a lot in yeah. recent weeks. Yeah, that's that's for the, you know, throw some logs on the fire. That's for the uh, the Shoheen podcast. Exactly. Um, yeah, we're going to have a lot to say about that, too. Yeah. But it will be fun to see what it's like to develop trees from very different starting points. It's funny, the vast majority of my experience with hornbeam has been from hornbeam collected from Korea. (laughs) And so working on the... uh, I've worked on younger... That's right, and and you ended up with something that's very traditional. And what's funny is the other odd and end hornbeam I've had over the years, some were much younger trees that were just container grown, but I've had a number of... I don't know if they were field... Maybe they were nursery stock, but I've worked on a handful of 30, 40-year-old hornbeam. Again, old, but just not collected. This will be the first time I'm dealing with young, large, field-grown hornbeam. I, I still remember the day that I texted you or called you. And <laughs> I said, you know, Jonas, is it just me or does Korean hornbeam really want to be a bonsai? It's just, it just the latter. It's just beautiful. It's, um, it's probably, you know, looking around the garden, I maples are by far probably the, the most numerous plant that I have. Uh, but I think hornbeams are a close second. I, yeah, I have a lot of hornbeams yeah. in the yard. You do. And it's funny. I'm curious personally if I'm, I find Japanese maples to be one of the more challenging species for bonsai. I screwed myself. (laughs) Period. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. And I wonder if I'll be thinking that later. I wonder how much of that is ignorance or health and climate challenges and how much of it is the way they grow. But they they force you to learn a lot. I think Japanese maples are easy once they've gone over the mountain, once they've once yeah once you're in that final stretch but getting up to the top you know and what we mean by that is is really slowing these things down um building a trunk without scars building taper and movement without awkwardness yeah uh, making sure nothing is straight once you get into the branches keeping your inner nodes in check there's techniques for all of these things and we're familiar with them but yeah. Man, is that a lot of energy. Yeah, it's it's very different from trident maple, which, like Korean hornbeam, 
wants to be a bonsai. It's yeah. very dependable. We know what's going to happen every single time. They just need to be lassoed in a little bit uh, more frequently, as yeah. in a lot more frequently. Yeah. It was fun to talk too about uh, at Farm to Table, you know, about how we create roots and a lot of the methods yeah. that Telperion Farms and Gary Wood, along with them, kind of pioneered. Uh, we talked about geodisks. Or, yeah, I was going to say, we got really specific and the to give everyone a takeaway of the, the number one takeaway about roots, make sure the roots don't go down. Yeah. That's simple. Make the roots go out and you will win. <laughs> you will succeed. Yeah. So like step one, make the roots go out instead of down. And by a geodisc, we mean whether it's a piece of fabric, a tile, a piece of wood, something that's going to encourage horizontal growth on your roots that you put under the tree when you plant it in the field or in a container. Yeah. I think we could plug John. I think John has been manufacturing these nice thick felt yep. discs. Um, and I'd say right along with that, if that's step one, step two would be control the ground, by which we mean maybe you're controlling the soil, maybe you're using a bag, maybe you are, I guess those are the two main things, you know, not just putting it in dirt and walking away. Yeah. You're either putting a different kind of soil around it or using a bag. And by bag, we mean a fabric container, really, that you actually sink in the ground. And what those do is they allow for water to pass through, but it really slows down root growth outside of the bags. Yeah, it, it can. It, it's a real nice control technique. When we're putting it in the ground, we lose a lot of control, but it's, it's a nice way to get a little yeah. bit of that back. And that's another thing that Telperion Farms really just pioneered. I'm not sure. They did it on a massive scale. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure a bonsai operation was planting bags. Yeah, and as I think them. Chris came up with it, Gary Wood was marveling at the success yeah. that they were having. But that brings up step three. One, don't let the roots go down. Two, modify the soil environment. Number three, dig them up every three to four years. Boy, can we not underscore that enough? Yeah. Yeah. A bag is great until the roots just get so constricted. Until they escape. Until they escape, until they get thick or grow up against the side of the bag. Um, And and that another, again, another of the endless good points from from this weekend is um, (laughs) that uh, it takes just as much time to grow a nice nabari a nice set of surface roots as it does to grow the nice top of the tree yeah uh but we only get a short window to work on it you know you can only improve the nabari i mean you can yeah. have it work for you if you have a geodisc or something under mm-hmm. it but you can you only have time to fix it you know the two hours every so often years that you're repotting it yep. um you the top of the tree we can work on that all the time we have months and months and months but to, it's limited when we're putting them in the ground for people who think you put it in the ground and you dig it when it's done that's a perfectly valid technique and you just won't have the quality of roots that you'll have if you yeah. if you add that two hour window every three to four years you know depending on how fast they're growing or and cut the big roots encourage the skinny roots it's it's standard root work at that point and then you put it back in the ground and it's fun to think too you know just in the totally left field opposite direction maybe we just don't do any root work at all and then we just do the now technique where we put cement around it and ground layer it after oh, we have a thick trunk. Who's going to pioneer that on conifers? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that might be a little tougher. Juniper. Well, I was going to say, work. if it works for juniper, we're not going to dig them anymore. We're yeah. going to ground layer them and saw them off, and then you never actually have to dig. Yeah. Boy, does that sound fun. That does. Yeah, so I might try have that. to try that. <laughs> we're actually both kind of looking up to the sky like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. that might actually work. <laughs> yeah. But actually, for deciduous trees, if that becomes a slam dunk, seriously, why bother yeah. digging? 
yeah, just we leave the roots. Just leave the roots. We Planted we talked a lot about this weekend, um, or, uh, or I did, um, about how easy it is to reset deciduous trees. The reset, ah, the button, reset button on deciduous trees, both for roots, like Now's doing with his cement ground layers, or for uh, just, you know, oh, the tree grew 30 feet tall? No problem. Get a chainsaw <laughs> out. Let's make before. some big cuts. Yep. Uh, and then develop the tree from the regrowth, the, the sprouts that you get to, to, to make new branching. Even it's, it's interesting, you know, a good contrast is if we look at Maria's work in Croatia, even though she's getting Yamadori deciduous, her Yamadori deciduous, they're still 10-year projects. They're yeah. still making big cuts on them. It's not the same as a conifer where the trunk's all there. We're just bending and, and decorating that really nice trunk. It's, that's it's, right. Her her brilliance is in giving us the middle of the tree, not the bullseye, the trunk, but the yeah. rings right outside of that. Yeah. Yeah, so many great things came up this weekend. Wow. And so we don't know when the next one will be yet, but we know that we like this format, whatever the topic. We know that we like this topic and we know that we've got a strong community of people who care about this topic and so we want to continue to do everything we can to foster that community to make sure that we have as many people as possible building this future bonsai community by providing the material to work with yeah and it, it shouldn't just be limited to the west coast either so much bonsai growing telperion yep. farms bonsai northwest lone pine we could go on and on randy knight yeah. uh, have has happened on the west coast you can grow great trees in st louis and georgia in north and carolina are. there are a lot of people growing across the country and yeah so. And, and so there's room for an event like this and if you're places. looking to do one of these, let either of us know and we'll be happy to share whatever we can so you can throw one of these parties yourself. Absolutely. And, and invite us out. We want to be there. Cause We'd it's, be happy to show up. It's, yeah. it's, it's such a fun thing to, to teach and to, to, to learn uh, with, with, with the guests. Any other last takeaways? You made this whole thing happen, and it was one of your opening garden weekends. This was a huge weekend for you. Yeah. Um, well, we had amazing help, like like we said, uh, and we couldn't have done it without the, our great artists, our great vendors, our great volunteers, the, the great people on the board. Um, but, yeah, I don't, it's it was just a really special time. Having the Kirks there just made it over-the-top special. Yeah. Um, I'm ex- I, I, I've never been more excited for, for growing bonsai and, and making trees and... And in and, and, and looking at all the various ways, I mean, we were at the tip of the iceberg <laughs> with this, this seminar on, on, you know, we, we, this, this seminar really focused on, we scratched the surface, we yeah. scratched the surface and it was, you know, really narrowed in on, um, ground growing, but we could take this, we could have a whole seminar on how you grow a tree in a colander, how it's you grow a tree same, in yeah. a raised bed. That's right. Um, so I, I'm excited for more. We need more. I think uh, we're not going to be able to end it on a better note than that. Yeah. Thanks for listening. This has been a, a fun chat, and uh, we'll chat with you soon. Yeah, thanks. The music on today's podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue. It's when your finger slides on it, and when it, they're a little, when they're a little tacky, it's that. Yeah, t- 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 tacky. You can kind of, 
You can kind of just touch and it's So if fine. you had a sweaty palm or a tap, that's going to pick up. Wow. Fascinating. 